Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Believe it or not, summer is coming, I think. Uh, I woke up this morning and I darn near tipped over when when my feet hit the ground because it was like 60 degrees in my house because we slept with the windows open last night. But eventually, the sun will be out to stay. And I cannot wait for summer because like everybody else, summer is my jam. We as Minnesotans live for June, July, and August. We do. Otherwise, why would we, why would we live here, right? If we didn't have something to look forward to, we wouldn't put up with nine months of perpetual darkness and winter for nothing. We live for summer. And one of the things I love to do in the summer outside of ice cream runs and watermelon and barbecues and all the rest of it is spend time on the lake. Where are my lake rats at? Anybody? They're not here. They're on the lake right now. You know what I'm saying? They're not here. They're fishing. They're, they're, they're tubing. They're doing whatever the heck they're doing. But the rest of us, we're here and, and we're excited for summer. But I think anyone can empathize with perhaps when you were younger, if you've grown up here in Minnesota, going fishing with uh, that grandparent is like a delicacy. It is awesome. I want to show you a few pictures today. These were taken last year with my grandpa and uh, nobody got that. Chris, Chris isn't here to make fun of my age anymore, so I have to make fun of myself. Uh, but no, this was, this was many, many years ago uh, with my grandpa. We were fishing buddies. I have vivid memories of that green bucket that was always full of sunfish. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I have no idea if we were even legal. Like, we, we caught a lot of fish. And I, I don't know any better. So uh, my grandpa, hey, grandpa, um, he passed away many years ago, but hopefully he was legal, and uh, it, it was fun, but we loved going fishing. Fishing was like our bonding thing. My dad hates fishing, hated fishing, but I loved it, and so my grandpa and I would spend so many mornings out on the lake, and I had just, I have so many vivid memories of running down that wooden dock and just jumping into his boat and just having the time of my life, but what's so special about these moments when you go fishing with your grandpa is they get to teach you everything. They get to teach you how to bait the hook. They get to teach you how to put your line in the water. They teach you how to watch the bobber. And when it goes down, how you're supposed to set the hook and how you take off the hook. And, you know, as little kids, some you have two types of little kids. You have the types of kids that, like, want to hug the fish and touch it and take it home and put it in their pocket. All things that I've seen, trust me. It's weird. And then you have the other type of kid who doesn't want to touch the thing. It comes out of the water and they're like, ah, they freak out. I was somewhere in between. Still am. But inevitably, these moments with grandpa always took a turn for like real life applications. Like, grandpa, I'm bored. I want to go back. And he's like, Derek, you got to wait. You know, good things come when you're patient. Um, or, you know, you, you got to go slow so you don't miss out. He had a lot of patient talks with me. I'm not quite sure why. I, do, you, do you know why that would be a thing? She just smiles. Anyways. <laughs> he's even worse. 
I love grandparents. Um, I, I am so thankful to have grandparents. My grandpa, Ralph, here, he passed away when I was six. And so he's been out of my life for quite some time now. But what I love about that grandparent, or whether maybe, maybe you, both your grandparents had passed away by the time you got that far or, or whatever it is, but I think we can all relate with that person in life who is kind of that, that mentor, that older person that kind of just drops these nuggets of wisdom in your place. So this week, I, I put on Facebook, like, what are some of the best one-liners that, like, your grandpa or grandma gave you or your aunt and uncle? I just want to share with some of you some of these because they're, they're awesome, okay? The first one, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, whoever eats the fastest eats the most. Like, that was their prayer before, before dinner. Like, that, that's, that's awesome. Um, you guys might empathize this one, mop those floors as if you could eat off of them. Anyone have that one or something of that nature? Okay. This one is one that I cannot tell you how many times I heard this. It will put hair on your chest. <laughs> and a close second, rub some dirt on it. Right? Like, oh, your leg's broken in half, rub some dirt on it. It'll be fine. Right? It'll buff out. This one probably is the most accurate of all of them. One boy, one brain. Two boys, half a brain. Three or more boys, no brains. <laughs> and I don't think there's an age requirement on that one. When we get all the dudes together tonight, who knows what's going to happen? I make no promises on getting them back home safe. My job is to get them here. It's up to them to keep them alive, okay? It's awesome. And then this last one, this, I think this is another just older phrase that I love. And so it goes. Anyone have that? Like, yeah, any phrase, whenever something would happen, so it goes. Just like, whatever it is. And then this is probably my favorite response because of how much I got it. When I, I sent this out to Facebook, I was asking people, I got this response more than any other response. He had some great one-liners, but they're not appropriate for church. <laughs> Right? Like, like, grandparents were always great for that. They always just had the thing, that wisdom, that, that life experience. They just, they, they were so many different spots and so many different things that they just had it figured out. And what I love about that is it just, it really sets the tone for your life. I've had so many life-changing conversations, these things that have stuck in the back of my brain that were downloaded to me on a fishing boat whether it was a youth pastor of mine or a mentor of mine or a grandparent, because there's, there's just something about when you're just in that element and just life experience just speaks for itself. There's just something about it. And so this summer, we're going to do a sermon series called Fishing with Gramps, because while I am not nearly old enough to be considered your grandpa, nor do I want to be, uh, I want to take you on a metaphorical journey on a fishing boat with Gramps. Like just the, the, the book of James is, is a book in the Bible, it's only five chapters long, but James just wrote this letter and wrote this thing in the, in the Bible that is just so filled with those practical one-liners, those punchlines, those things where it's just like, whoa, you know, like I'm going to think of that forever. And I want to take us through that all summer long and we're going to go verse by verse and it's going to be awesome and I'm looking forward to it. But this morning... I'm going to do something outside of my norm a little bit. We do this periodically, but um, today what I want to talk about is something that I think is very real for a lot of people, and I'm just really, really excited because uh, I've been a Christian for, we, we discovered this last night, um, I've been a Christian for about 14 years. I didn't grow up going to church my whole life. I, I, I got to know Jesus when I was 13, and in, in those 14 years of, of knowing Jesus, I've read this passage so many times, but this week as I studied it, there's just 
there's so much new stuff I found out. I'm excited to share it with you. But I just want to open up today with prayer. I know we just prayed, but I want to pray specifically for this message because I think what I'm going to talk about is going to hit home for a lot of us. And while it might, you know, bring up some things that are difficult or it's hard, I believe God's going to meet us right here in this spot. So will you join me in prayer this morning as we get going? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to look into your word and for you to speak through it. God, today as we talk about what James has to speak about through the, through your word, I just pray, God, that you would just be with us, you would speak to us, and you'd meet us right where we're at. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. James 1, verse 1, here we go, verse by verse. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Okay, we find this a lot in the books of the Bible. If you and I were to write a letter, dear so-and-so, here's all the stuff I'm going to say to you, and then sincerely, love, blessings, whatever it is you sign at the bottom, and then your name. That's how we roll. Back in this day and age, they would start all their letters with who they're writing to and who is writing the letter. So to the 12 tribes of Israel, it's James What's up? Greetings. That's kind of how he rolls with this. And so this might be a revolutionary concept, but the book of James was written by James. Revolutionary, I know. And it's not the James in the sound booth. That would be impressive. The thing is, it's written by James, but there was actually a lot of James in the time that Jesus was alive. He had two disciples named James, uh, and so, but neither of them are, are the writers here. A lot of the, the experts and the people who know a lot more than I do have confirmed that this would be James, the half-brother of Jesus. How would you like that for a role, right? Like you talk about trying to live up to your siblings' expectations. Imagine Jesus is your brother. That'd be rough, Okay, like there's always the golden child in every family, like, oh, he's the doctor, he's awesome, he's super sweet, you're just the chump who scoops garbage for a living, right? Like, talk about the, the contrast here of, of the, the expectations that they had, but James, here he is writing this letter as the half-brother of Jesus. And after his initial greeting, he just jumps right into his letter, and he writes this, James 1, verse 2 Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Talk about a way to ease in. No, hey guys, it's James. Hope you and the family are doing well. I see the church is growing. It's so good to see that. How is life going? Is there anything you need? No, James is like, hey, what's up? It's James. Listen, life sucks, okay? And when it's rough, just be happy about it. Like, like, this guy has no tact. He has no easing in of it. There's no warm fuzzies. That's why we're going through fishing with Gramps, because Grandpa doesn't care about subtleties, right? He just tells it how it is. James is the same way. It's got that punchy, real-life application. I want to talk about that, because here's the deal, is James is writing to a diverse group of people. A lot of the experts say he's writing to Christians primarily, but it's not exactly clear which Christians he's writing to. He might be writing to the devout Jews who had become Christians. He might be talking to the people who were not quite, you know, devout Jews, but they're kind of on the fringe, and he's trying to talk to them. Regardless, we can say with 100% certainty, he was talking to a very big group and a very diverse group. That's why he says the 12 tribes of Israel, because that's like an ambiguous name for all people. 
So here he is, he's talking to a big group of very diverse people, and here he goes by saying, brothers and sisters, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, and he makes no distinction between the groups. When you face trials of many kinds, not if you face trials, but when you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy. Joy, And I think a lot of people read this and initially struggle with it a little bit. I know I did. Like I said, I've read this for many, many years, and I've read through this. And I think a lot of times what we think is that, you know, he's asking us to be happy, right? Like as a pastor, I, I, I know how important it is to read the Bible and how, you know, this is the authoritative word of God. Yet I struggle with passages like this when it's like, consider it pure joy when you face trials because I don't like trials. I don't like tough things in life. I don't want to be happy about it. Why would you ask me to do that, James? What is the deal? Like, how does this reconcile? I just lost my mother to a nasty heart attack, and I'm supposed to be happy about it? I just, I didn't actually do that, by the way, okay? Just, just hypothetically, okay? I don't want you guys to be like, how's your mom doing? She's fine and alive. At least I think so. I saw her last night. But some people are like, I just lost my job and all my family is in a tough spot. And so how in the world am I supposed to be just paste a smile on my face and go, we're good, right? Like, like that, nobody does that. Nobody is like my husband and I just went through a tough settlement and all of a sudden I'm just, I feel great about it. Nobody is like, cool, how was your day? My day was terrible, my car broke down. There's water on my floor because we've had a million and one storms lately. I got a hole in my roof because the hail came through. By the way, my, my kid punched somebody at school, so I had to leave work to go to the principal's office. And then I came out of the principal's office. There was a flat tire on my car. And now I'm in a puddle in the parking lot going, why, God, is, what is happening? But here comes James. Consider up pure joy. It doesn't make sense. That is not the first response when you're going through something troubling or trying for you just to be joyful and happy and all these types of things. Because the reality is that these trials, these setbacks, these things in life are not selective. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you're doing. There is no get out of trial free card where life is just great and smooth all of the time. There's no formula on like why certain things happen to certain people, why it doesn't happen to them, why it just seems like when things happening are over here, they keep coming. Another phrase that my grandpa said a lot, when it rains, it pours. I hate that phrase because it's so true. When it rains, it pours. When life situations and trials just start coming, it feels like they don't stop. And that is a battle. And what I find solace in is that This book was written 2,000 years ago. And so here he is saying, when you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy. We are not unique in the sense of that we walk through tough things in life. The same thing happened to people 2,000 years ago. And so no matter which way you cut it, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not, life is going to come at you. You're going to have a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad year. It's going to range from really bad stuff to heartbreaking bad stuff. And aren't you guys glad you came to church today? Right? 
Like this, this is not the typical life is great, uplifting message, but I think that what James is actually trying to get at really is life-giving because he says, consider it pure joy, but how, how does those, do those things go together? It's, it's like oil and water. How does the nastiness of life reconcile with the joy that we have? How does that work? And I think a lot of times when we are in the thick of the battle, if we're just being completely honest, completely raw, when we are in those trials, when we're in those moments, we don't get the warm fuzzies. We don't get the joy. We don't get the happiness. What we do get is discouragement. We get this, this feeling of just feeling hopeless. We get this feeling like, you know what? Like this is just really, really difficult. We feel oppressed. We feel that nagging question of why? Why? Why God? Why is this happening? Why would this happen? And so how could a man who walked through so many trials himself, a man who knew trials well, James, how could he sit there and say such a blanket statement? A statement that really feels more like blind optimism than reality. Because you always have, I'm, I'm going to be real with you guys for a second, as I always am. Hopefully no one walks out the door. There's a phrase out there, too blessed to be stressed. It's a great phrase. I hate it. Because we are very blessed, but I'm stressed a lot. And sometimes the blessings don't always overshadow the stress of the situation. And so a lot of times when you hear things like this, like just consider it pure joy that, that, that everything's going to work out, it, it, I struggle with that because it doesn't feel that way right now. But here James continues in James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and that perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And herein is where we, or we replace the misconception with the actual intent of the verse. Because the misconception is that James is asking us to be happy when bad things come our way. And I would say, as in my research and my time this week, that's not what he's doing because happiness is momentary. What I mean by that is not that happiness comes and goes in a moment, but happiness is that feeling and that emotion that you feel right here and right now. It's a happiness. It's a, it's a I feel happy. It's emotional. Joy is an action. Joy is a choice. Joy is not as much as an emotion as it is purely a something you hold onto. I put it this way, a, a, a joy is a delayed fulfillment and satisfaction of happiness. What do I mean by that? When you are saying, I'm choosing joy, it's you making a cognizant decision to say, right now this doesn't feel good, but I know eventually it will. That is joy. Joy is saying, what I'm experiencing right now doesn't feel happy, but I know that it will. And so when James is telling us to consider our trials as pure joy, it's not because we need to be happy. It's because trials present an opportunity for us, an opportunity for our faith to grow and be tested, an opportunity for us to grow closer to Jesus, an opportunity for us to learn more about our strength themselves. I looked up this week treadmill sales in 2021. Treadmill sales in 
2021. It hit historic highs in 2021 with $1.7 billion of wholesale revenue from treadmills alone. Anybody partake in that $1.7 billion? Nobody? I wish, bud. I wish we had a treadmill because sometimes it is cold outside running. But it's not surprising that we see this because in 2020, almost all the gyms shut down, right? A lot of the gyms shut down. They're just starting now to come back alive and, and all this type of thing. But people are going, I want a treadmill so I can walk and exercise and do these types of things. But have you ever considered the purpose of a treadmill outside of being a very expensive clothes rack for some people? A treadmill is literally built to give resistance to the occupant. A treadmill literally functions to make the person who steps foot onto it uncomfortable. What a job. A treadmill's purpose in life, if you will, if you want to put it that way, is to make the person who steps foot on it sweat, be miserable, and go through resistance and make it difficult for them. Why? Because when you go through resistance and come on the other side, you are stronger for it. The reason you step foot on a treadmill is not so that you just can pass the time. It's because you're pushing your body, you're pushing everything within you to fight the resistance, to heighten your heart rate, strengthen your muscles, and build your endurance. That is the purpose of a treadmill. And so here we are going Nobody likes resistance. I know a very few people who are like, I can't wait to set foot on my treadmill today unless you're an avid runner. But even then, there are moments when that treadmill is just pumping and the last thing you want to do is stay on it. But when you persevere and push through it, what happens? You get stronger. You get healthier. Your heart rate will eventually pick up and do all these awesome, really good things for you. And I found that resistance and struggle actually strengthens you. I'm going to get a little nerdy with you for a second this morning. Psychologically and physically, the reason that we get tired, the reason when you run or exercise, why sometimes it's such a battle is because psychologically, your brain is telling you to stop doing something. Psychologically, when you are going through exercise and your heart rate is elevated and you're pumping everything and your muscles are aching and all this stuff, your brain is starting to go, warning, 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 heart rate is up, body is exerted, we need to slow down as a fail-safe. Your brain is trying to tell your body to stop because what's happening is it's going through stress. So psychologically, your brain is telling the body, hey, you should really stop. You seem really tired. Your legs hurt. You need to stop. Yet endurance runners, athletes, soldiers, whatever it is, They're all taught to push through that, to tell their brain to stop. Like, I know I'm in pain, but I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep going through that. Why? Because it reprograms the mind. It reprograms what you are capable of doing. You go, when you go through these tough runs, when you push through these things, you start to realize next time you're in that same moment, you went, I've been through this before. I've ran through this before. I'm stronger now than I was before. You're reprogramming your mind so that the next time you're up against the wall, you're more apt to push through it. Consider it pure joy. 
when you face trials of many kinds. Because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This word perseverance is actually translated from a Greek word called ipomone. I'm not going to ask you to say that back to me. Because it took me about 20 times saying on Google, ipomone, ipomone, ipomone. But the root word ipomone, ipo means under. And mone comes from the root word meno, which means to stay, abide, and remain. I love this. One expert says this. Ipomone has this picture of someone underneath a heavy load, but choosing to stay there instead of trying to escape. What an image. Does that sound familiar? When it feels like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. When you feel like your back is up against the wall and you're going through something that's tough and difficult and exhausting and draining. It just feels like you're just underneath the weight of the world and you're just trying to scream internally, I can't take this anymore. I'm done. I'm fed up with this. When is this going to end? God, take this weight away from me. Yet ipomone is the idea that instead of trying to just get out from that weight, we stay underneath of that. What an image. So why in the world would an all-loving God allow us to be underneath that weight? Ipomone, perseverance. Pain will teach you things you would never know if you hadn't gone through them. When you go through something that is difficult, that is oppressive, that there's resistance, it teaches you to fight. And it teaches you things about yourself. It teaches you things about how strong you really are. It teaches you things about what God can do in your life. Ways in which you never would have experienced it had you not gone through it personally. Consider it pure joy when trials come your way. Because there's purpose to your pain. There is purpose to your pain. There is value in the testing. There is treasure in the ashes of destruction. Your pain is not in vain. And that is something I think a lot of us struggle with. Because I know a very few people, myself included, who welcome trouble with open arms. Like, I can't wait for my life to fall apart now. Nobody does that. Who would? Nobody just openly welcomes opposition and trials and the rest of it. But I know a lot of people who, despite what they wish, are dealt a hand that's really nasty. They're dealt a life situation, a life circumstance that we can't possibly imagine on the outside looking in of how you made it through, what that's like. We can't empathize and feel the weight of what that's like. I'm not going to ask for you to for you to raise your hands, but I bet most people in here have experienced somebody, either yourself or somebody who's been through something like that. But I have seen time and time and time again, people dealt that same hand come out on the other side. While it feels like when they're in the thick and they're in the heart of the valley, it doesn't feel like they're going to come out of it. And they are wondering how the heck they're going to make it through, but they do. And when they get to the other side, it's not that they are just like, well, great, that was awesome. But there's a newfound strength within them. They're a different person. They're stronger. They're more aware. They're closer to God. They're battle-tested, battle-approved 
and it changes the way that they live in every sense of the word. When Jesus was in the garden, just before he was going to be taken to be crucified, Matthew chapter 26 says this. He, being Jesus, took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Jesus himself, a man who was fully human, but fully God, was dealt a trial and opposition unlike anything else. And we see him in the garden just before it's going to happen, just before he knows the suffering, the pain, the separation he's about to endure. He sees all of it coming, and he's sitting in the garden of Gethsemane on his knees praying. It says he was filled with sorrow to the point of death. That's a lot of sorrow. That's a lot of sadness. That's a lot of difficulty. And here we find him on his knees in the middle of the garden begging God, if it be possible, take this cup from me. James is not saying be happy about your trials because if that were the case, Jesus himself would be in opposition to that word. Jesus himself was saying, you know what? This is tough. This is difficult. I don't want a part of this. This doesn't feel good. If it's possible, God, please take this away from me. Please. Yet here is the heart of it all. Jesus says this right after in verse 39. Yet not as I will, but as you will. God, I don't want to go through this right now, but if this is what you have for me, I will go through it. And that is the heart of James. That is the heart that we see here in the beginning of James chapter 1. Joy is not a feeling, it's an action. It's you saying what I'm experiencing right now is not easy. Honestly, I prefer to not be in the situation, but if I'm going to be here, I'm going to persevere. If I'm going to be dealt this hand, I might not be happy about it. I might not be pacing a smile on my face, but I'm going to choose to see this as an opportunity to grow. I'm going to choose to see this as an opportunity to be different. And that is the joy of it all. It's by faith trusting that somehow, some way, this will be used for good. So really quickly, I have a few things of how you persevere through trials. So that's all great and dandy, but when you're in the thick of it, it's tough to see how all this reconciles. So number one, how do you handle trials? First one is take each day as it comes. I love what it says in Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough trouble of its own. I'm 10 steps down the road. Like, I, 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 with how I live my life, I'm worried about what's going to happen two years from now, let alone the fact that we're living in today, right here, right now. It's so common for us to be going through and, and planning ahead that when you're walking through a tough situation, you're already trying to just go to the next thing. You're trying to figure out how this is going to impact you months from now, days from now, years from now, whatever it is. But here we're fine, or I'm challenging you just to take each day as it comes. Take today for today. Be present in today. 
because there are glimpses of joy to be found in every single day, even on the darkest ones. There are times I've just done one of these. You know, like, are you kidding? I, I, don't, even, I don't even have words for this right now. The type of just pouring that's happening in my life right now, like, it's, it's uncanny. Like, I'm surprised the roof's not falling down on our head right now. The type of luck that's happening. And there are times when you just go, oh my gosh, is it ever going to end? And you get stuck in this rut of just thinking, I am this, this poor me and this is tough. And, and all of it's very legitimate. Hear me, I know a lot of you guys are walking through some stuff that is very, very difficult and very, very tough. But I'm going to challenge you that there is joy to be found. Even in the darkest of valleys, there is joy to be found. Even if it's simple. Even if it's small, there is joy to be found. And it doesn't eradicate the pain. It doesn't change your mood. But it fixes your perspective from all the destruction to all of the life. There is joy to be found in today. The second one. I know a few people in this one who, this is, (laughs) you might get a few elbows in the side here. Just just warning you. When you're going through trials, be still and don't fix. As a husband, this is, I need to paste this on my wall. All right, because as a husband, I love to fix things. Okay, when when Meg comes home and she's like, "Hey, hey, guys, can I just talk to you about something?" Yeah, like how was your day? And she just unloads uh, all of the stuff that happened today. I really go into fix it mode. Oh, well, I can do that. And I can do that. And she just Meg is like so patient, and she's just the most amazing woman. She goes, "Just so you know, I don't want you to fix everything. I just want you to listen." Any other husbands ever have that? You're scared to raise your hand. I don't blame you. When stuff comes our way, we have a tendency to try to fix it. When life just happens, we kind of hit the panic button. Like, oh, oh I got, we got, we got, how are we going to do this, right? Like, uh, let's take the situation of you lost your job, right? Like, immediately we just jump into how are we going to pay bills? How are we going to do this? And we just start jumping as soon as, before we even leave the parking lot, we're trying to figure out where am I going to work? What am I going to do? What papers am I going to do? What, what apps are out there to help me find a job? We just go into this immediate fix-it mode of how am I going to reconcile this? How am I going to do this? Ah. And it's not just things to fix. It's even sometimes there are those things in your life that just leave a gaping hole in your heart. A loss of a life. A loss of a relationship. And it leaves within you, this big old gaping hole in your heart of sadness and deprivation. And we try, there's nothing to fix. There's nothing more to do. But what we try to fix is that pain. What we try to help is that pain. And so we try to figure out ways how we can cope with it on our own. We try to find ways that we can just get over it and do things and make things better. How can we manage this on our own? Yet, I love what it says in Psalm 46. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still and know that he is God. I love the context of this verse because it's talking about how there are wars and destruction all around. But the psalmist just says, be still because God is can break the bow of the archer 
He can take down the shield of the fortress and he can just make things happen. Be still. And I know that is tough. We are not good at being still, everybody. <laughs> Life is fast. Life is crazy. That's what we're used to. But perhaps more than any other time, when you're walking through the battle, I challenge you to take a moment and just be still. And just go from to, Lord, I need you. That right there, even just welcoming God into your situation changes things. Maybe not the outcome immediately, but your perspective with all of it. Be still. It's not up to you to manifest the strength. It's not up to you to find the answers. It's not up to you to try and get through this. Make no mistake, there are things you got to do. And when things happen, there are things you got to step up and do. But I guess the challenge is for you to let God be the quarterback. Let him call the plays. You just do what he's calling you to do. Number three, seek wisdom and not knowledge. Google is a wonderful thing, but it's also a terrible thing. You have a runny nose, yep, probably have some form of very rare disease, and you might want to go see a doctor right now. You jump down these rabbit holes, right, where you're just, I'm, I'm, this happens to me with vehicles. My car's making a weird noise. Yep, probably a transmission, an engine, and the wheels are probably going to fall off in about two miles. There's all this information and knowledge at our fingertips that we immediately just start jumping into these rabbit holes. We start jumping into all of these things and we try and just surround ourselves with research. But a lot of times, the more we know, the more research, the more knowledge we have, the more stressed out we are. Because not all research is helpful. Facts are facts. Make no mistake about it. But sometimes you don't need more facts. You just need more faith. Sometimes we don't need to know of what can go wrong. We just need to know that there's a chance that it goes right. Seek wisdom and not knowledge. Knowledge is facts. Wisdom is knowing how to apply what you know. We can know a lot about something, but not know how to apply it in our lives personally. We might know a lot about a situation, but we might not know how to navigate it ourselves. I'd encourage you today, I'm going to send you home with some homework. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 8 is all about wisdom. It says that if we ask God for wisdom, he gives it without holding back. There's this image of this, this good heavenly father who we can come back to him time and time again. God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom. And there's no ration. There's no stipend. There's no just, no, you've already asked me for wisdom twice this week. He gives it without ceasing. God will give you wisdom for any situation if you'll listen. Number four, reach out, not close in. We're not just going to get burgers and just having brunch just because we want to feel good about ourselves. We're having these forms of community because life is not meant to be lived alone. It's a natural tendency when you're walking through the battle to close in on yourself and just go, oh, this is tough. I'm just going to handle this on my own. But this is the most important time for you to have the people around you, to surround you, to pray for you, and to walk alongside you. It goes against the grain. goes against what you think you might need to do. But do not close in. Reach out. There's a beauty in community. And then the last one, 
Press in and don't tap out. Press in and don't tap out. The tendency when we're walking through something tough is to ask God, please take this away from me. And we just kind of just cope and just muddle our way through it. But what if we just pressed in and said, instead of God, take this away from me, God, what are you trying to show me? God, what can I do right here and right now? And it changes how you live. Because while it doesn't change the fact that you are enjoying going through the battle, it changes that there's now a purpose to this. And you come out on the other side a different person. What I absolutely loved in my research this week, I want to leave you with this. Hebrews chapter 12, an entirely different book of the Bible says this. I talk about this in my running series. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This word joy in this verse, the Greek word is hara. C-H-A-R-A. It's the same word in James when it says consider it pure joy, hara. It's the same word. I told you Jesus was in the garden. He was agonizing. He was saying, God, please, if it's up to you, take me through this. Yet we see here in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew he was walking through the battle, but he knew the other side was important. He knew he'd have to walk through literally hell and back. But he knew on the other side of it meant that you and I could be close to him. And that joy, what that meant was enough for him to say, you know what, I'm going to go through this because what's, what's on the other side is worth it. We have to decide if we're willing to persevere to get to the other side. Because sometimes it doesn't feel like we can, but we will if we truly trust in him. If we are still and let God carry us through, he will get us to the other side. And on the other side, there is a whole lot of hurrah. There's joy coming, everybody. There's joy coming. I kind of hate James, I'm not going to lie. I was all excited to start a new sermon series and he just drops a bomb right out of the gate. But I believe this is a word for a lot of our community right now. There's a lot happening in our world right now and I think the tendency is just to go, man, this is just the worst and our world's falling apart and life is miserable and, and it... But we as believers can have a different perspective. That there's joy coming. And on the other side of that joy, a whole bunch more perseverance. So here's what I want to do this morning as I send you guys out of here. Some of you guys are going to walk out of this place and you walk right back into the very things that you walked in carrying. There's a lot of health things going on. There's a lot of financial crises going on right now. There's a lot of relational disunity. There's a lot of stuff that you walked into this place today carrying the weight of that world on your shoulders. And you're going to walk right back into it in about an hour. 
But here is my challenge to you. While you walked in carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, you can now walk out with that same weight there, but instead of you pushing up by yourself, you can let the hands of the Almighty God lift it up with you. And that is the joy that we have. That while we're walking through a battle right now, while we're walking through something that is tough, that we hate, it's not in vain. The pain that we're walking through right now, the stuff that we're going through is purposeful. It's going to develop a joy. It's going to develop an appreciation. It's going to develop an awareness that we didn't have before. And so while it is tough and while we still have to persevere through it, we're no longer alone and we're no longer just spinning our wheels. We have God who's lifting that weight for us and using it for something constructive. And it changes the way you fight. It changes the way you fight. Instead of feeling like you're losing, fighting a losing battle, now you know you're on your way to victory. It changes the way you fight. So this morning, will you bow your head to close your eyes? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who fights our battles with us. Lord, in these moments of struggle, in these moments of questioning, in these moments of doubt, you don't meet us with criticism. You don't meet us with a, how could you not trust me? You meet us with, I'm here. I got you. Be still and know that I am God. God, you meet us in the heat of our battle. So God, whether we're walking through something right now, or whether we're feeling great, whatever it is, Lord, you always are with us in every battle, no matter what happens even if we brought the battle on ourselves, Even if there is something we've done that we know is messed up, God, you don't change your response. That you're there and you fight with us and for us. So God, for those in this place that are walking through a battle right now, I pray, Jesus, that they would just feel you and sense you deep in their heart this week. When the stress comes, when the demands come, God, may they just have that release of going, I'm not alone. That I have an infinite source of power behind me and with me. And his name is Jesus. God, would you be with us today? Would you be with those who maybe don't feel close to you? Maybe they don't feel like they're worthy of this because they've done too much stuff. God, grace is a beautiful thing. Doesn't matter how messy we are, doesn't matter what we've done, you're there to love us and forgive us through it all. God, I'm thankful for you. I pray, God, that you would just move and change our lives from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This has been a podcast of the Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.